You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There's a decent argument to be made that Art Bell was the most influential media figure of the modern era. In the late 1970s, the AM radio station KDWN out of Las Vegas had a long dead spot to fill, the middle of the night. And Bell, who was originally hired on as a disc jockey, board op, and engineer, leapt at the opportunity. The show was called West Coast AM, and it began as a garden-variety local political call-in show, but went through a decades-long metamorphosis into something entirely different. In 1988, West Coast AM went national, and was fittingly renamed Coast to Coast AM. It had grown mainly based on its anything-goes approach. Anybody could call into the show, and there was no one at the switchboard to screen the calls. Art Bell put them on the air randomly and blindly. And he interviewed guests, who could include almost anyone you could think of. He liked country and folk singers, so he had a lot of them. Willie Nelson, Merle Haggart, Gordon Lightfoot... He had on actors like Leonard Nimoy and Jane Seymour, fellow broadcasters and hosts like Regis Philbin, Casey Kasem, and Robert Stack. He interviewed scientists. One of his biggest gets was Michio Kaku. But mainly, he interviewed, uh, crackpots. When I say that Art Bell may have been the most influential media figure of the modern era, it is because the particular stew that was and is Coast to Coast AM is one that now surrounds us all the time. The show was a place for conspiracy theories and pseudoscience to hold court. And because the show was so loosely structured, so catch-as-catch-can, that meant that basically anything could and did go into that stew and melded in disquieting ways. Ghosts, aliens, healing crystals, Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, secret government plots to do just about anything you could imagine, unless it was good. On Coast to Coast AM, JFK was killed by the CIA, or the FBI, or the Mafia, or the Russians, or the Cubans, or he wasn't killed at all. Anybody could have done it, aside from Lee Harvey Oswald. In the late night hours of Coast to Coast AM, the only thing unbelievable was what most people believed in the daylight. And along with the potpourri of paranormal angles came the explicitly political ones. In 1996, Bell interviewed white nationalist William Luther Pierce, whose neo-Nazi guide to race war dressed up as a novel, The Turner Diaries, had inspired Timothy McVeigh to bomb the Mira Federal Building in Oklahoma City just a little over a year before. He interviewed literal Luftwaffe officers, former soccer player turned Protocols of the Elder of Zion promoter David Icke, 
and Jerome Corsi, who is not only a 9-11 truther and one of the main figures behind the Obama birther bullshit, but also a key figure in the WikiLeaks dump of hacked Clinton emails in 2016. Altogether, it is fair to say that Coast to Coast AM presaged or even fomented a lot of what makes today's media ecosystem look like today's media ecosystem. It was like Facebook before Facebook, where anybody could mouth off about whatever they wanted and be taken unduly seriously, if only for a few minutes. It arguably encouraged the process of codifying conspiracy theorists into the American right wing, and it created a certain tone that pretty much everyone is familiar with today. Art Bell played a particular kind of character on Coast to Coast, who was simultaneously the skeptic and the believer. He took a stance of keeping an open mind, asking some questions here and there, expressing some small modicum of doubt now and again, but ultimately encouraging basically any idea that came his way, as long as it was unlikely. You can see this just-asking-question tone in all corners of the discourse today. It's the sort of thing that makes Joe Rogan so popular, and you'd better believe that Rogan has cited Coast to Coast as an influence on his own podcast, and that he was an interviewee of Art Bell's before that. From creepypasta internet ghost stories to New World Order spooks orchestrating global events behind the scenes, you can find the DNA of Coast to Coast everywhere. But we're not here to talk about any of that. It is, so far as I'm concerned, still the Halloween season, so I want to focus on the best story to ever come out of Coast to Coast AM. You might have heard about this one before, because it's gone on to do the rounds of so many of the spooky podcasts and YouTube videos and such that Coast to Coast directly inspired. You may also have heard it debunked before, which I'm barely going to bother doing, because it is not a story you were at risk of believing. But it is a truly great story, and the way it was told was so interesting that out of all of the thousands of episodes and tens of thousands of hours of the most popular late-night radio program of the last half-century, it is, for many, the first thing they think of, even the only thing they think of, when they hear the words, Coast to Coast AM. Today, I'm going to do my best to give you the experience those millions of listeners got almost 30 years ago and revel in just what makes this story so absurdly seductive. This is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. This week's episode, Rock Bottomless, Part 1. It's late on the night of Friday, February 21st, 1997, and you can't sleep. Maybe you're on a long drive or working a graveyard shift job, or maybe you, like me, just don't sleep very well in 1997, and you need some sound, a voice or two to keep you comfortable, help you settle down, and finally nod off. If that's the case, though, you're in trouble. Because Art Bell has just received a fax that's going to set off the story that will definitely keep you awake and listening until his 5 a.m. sign-off. There will be no flipping the dial, no channel surfing. There will be no sleep tonight. I received the following fax last week. Dear Art, I'm writing to you to see if I can get some help from you or your vast listening audience. 
I live in rural eastern Washington near the Manastash Ridge. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly now. On our property, there is a hole. Like the previous owners and the owners before them, we've been throwing our trash into the hole. Apparently, the hole has been there as long as anyone can remember. At first, I thought it was an ancient well. Anyway, the hole is nine feet, nine inches in diameter. There is a stone retaining wall around it, and we put a steel door on top to keep anyone from falling into it. As I said earlier, people have been throwing their trash into the well, that's in quotes here, for decades. Furniture, household trash, dead cows, building debris, you name it. The thing is, I noticed the hole never filled up, so I got curious, actually obsessed, began trying to measure the depth of the hole. I emptied three fishing reels of about 1,500 yards of monofilament trying to determine the depth. Soon I was buying fishing line in bulk. So far, I've sunk about 80,000 feet of line into the hole without reaching bottom. My wife works at a local university with a geology department. We hope to get some professional scholarly help in determining the depth of the hole, as far as I can tell. There's nothing else particularly strange about it except for... Two other things. Dogs refuse to get within 100 feet of the hole. Birds won't sit on the retaining wall or metal door. Another strange thing is there's no echo when you yell into the hole. Indeed, I've never heard anything hit bottom when tossed in. We once tossed in an old refrigerator, and we never heard it hit bottom, no crash, splash, or crunch. I hope your listeners can help with possible explanations. I'm wondering if this, based on my measurements thus far, might be the deepest hole on Earth. Signed, Mel Waters. What's great about this fax, what I'm sure attracted Art Bell to it, is two things. First of all, this was something different. Art Bell took dozens of calls every week, people wanting to talk about secret government laboratories, subterranean mutants, close encounters of the first, second, third, and even fourth kinds, where the fourth means bathing suit area stuff. It was a wild world of weird, and a strange thing to get used to. But in 1997, Bell had been at this stuff for almost 20 years. Five nights a week, four hours a night. All of it must have blended together at some point, variations on a theme. The hole was something totally different. It wasn't cryptids with a but or aliens with an if. It was irreducible, novel. It was also, especially compared to his regular material, insidiously subtle. Sure, if you thought about it a bit, there was plenty to quibble with. But on its face, the hole is just the right level of fantastical. It's enigmatic but not absurd. Unlike all the pat paranormal material out there, it doesn't inspire a knee-jerk response, affirmation, or rejection. It just makes you lean in. You want to know more, right? To get the information, to make that judgment. I sure do. And lucky for us, a few hours later, Art Bell managed to get Mel on the line. Well, all right. Uh, now to Eastern Washington. I guess this is Eastern Washington. Mel, are you there? Yes, I am. Uh, first of all, Mel, thank you for answering. What are you doing up at this time of the morning? Well, after I sent the fax, I'm uh, 
I'm living in town here now because... For the uh, next hour, Art Bell interviewed Mel Waters about the hole. In that time, Mel doesn't give a whole lot of new information. He mostly rehashes what he wrote in the facts. Well, the hole, the hole has always been there. We've been out there for a couple of years now. And, uh, you know, the hole has been there since we've been there. It's been there since the previous owner was there. And the previous owner there was quite elderly. And I, I'd say he was there for a good 30, 40 years before we moved in. Wow. We get a lot more detail, of course, about throwing stuff down the hole. You know, we, we just take all, you know, we take all of our uh, trash, rubbish, anything we have that we have to get rid of, we take it, throw it in the hole. Everyone's throwing their stuff in the hole. About the way animals avoid the hole. Um, as usual, I brought the dogs with me. Uh, they wouldn't go anywhere near the damn thing. And uh, I went back to the Suburban and <laughs> hung out over there, so... <laughs> It was kind of, uh, uh, I, I can't, I, you know, if I try to bring them there on a leash, they'll just dig their feet and they do not want to go anywhere near the hole. And a lot more about Mel's process trying to measure its depth. I would say pretty close to a professional shark fisherman. So I had a couple of huge uh, uh, fishing reels, went out there and uh, started <laughs> letting the line down. I figure after one... Uh, Did you wait the line? Oh, yeah. There, there's, there's, in fact, the original line is still down there. I've just been adding to the line and keeping track of how much line I have used. So I've not uh, reeled it in. Um, how much weight is on it? There, there's a one-pound weight at the bottom of it. One-pound weight, all one right. One-pound weight. And occasionally I try to move the line there, but when you're moving that much line, you really can't do a whole lot with it. But it seems to, you know, there seems to be, it's not resting again against anything at this point here, and it continues to go down freely. And so when I was out there earlier, I'd let out a little bit more line. <laughs> And, uh, so you actually went out there tonight after I read this? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Well, well, you know, it's uh, not too bad. But mostly right now, what but Mel offers is a wildly believable account of a wildly unbelievable thing. Really wonderful water. Mel, hard, Mel, you wouldn't be pulling my leg. No, I'm not. And uh, Mel knows stuff he should know and doesn't know stuff he shouldn't. He's detailed, he's knowledgeable, but not omniscient. There's plenty he doesn't understand about the hole. And unlike so many of the guests calling into Coast to Coast AM over the years, he doesn't pretend he does. He doesn't have some grand conspiracy theory. He's not selling a ready set narrative. He's just a guy with a weird hole who wants to know what it is and maybe if he can get Guinness to come out to give it a world record. You know, I think I've, uh, you know, let you know as much as I I, um, I know about it. I'm, I'm, I certainly want to find out more. I'm, I'm mostly curious. I was mostly curious about the depth of it. I mean, how deep is the deepest hole anyone has ever found? Well, I, I've never heard of anything deeper than this. You know, I, I thought maybe this would be like Guinness World Book of Records type uh, type hole here. When asked whether it's supernatural, Mel doesn't seem to think so. Yeah, I. I uh, this this could be an apocryphal story, but one guy claims that he threw his uh, departed canine down into the hole. Oh, really? And uh, he swear. Well, the story is the guy that did it swears the the dog actually came back to him, and uh, he was really. A he was a hunt. Apparently, the story is that he was a hunter, and he was out there hunting, hunting, and he saw the same dog. He had the same collar. He had the same little uh, what is a little metal thing on his collar there and uh he said it was the same dog and he says he knew he threw the dog into the hole 
And that, know, that's, that's not, you know, that's not my dog. <laughs> that's not my It's you not know. your story, but it's, it's uh, a story of a resurrected dog. See, he even understands that the dog part is the biggest reach, and he doesn't try to sell it. It's just a story he's heard, which he's retelling the same way you would in his situation. He doesn't necessarily believe it. Although, when Bell asks him if he'd ever go down the hole, Mel does give an interesting answer. If you had a fatal disease, Mel? Yeah. Would you jump in the hole? I would. You would? Actually, it is in my will. What? Should I meet my demise? That, that you would be thrown in the hole? Disposed of into the well. I'm not sure the health department would allow that. Art Bell, by the way, plays his part perfectly. He's curious. He's just a teensy bit skeptical. He keeps things moving and introduces new ideas without pushing them too hard. He's yes-anding like a Second City veteran. His one hang-up is his repeated suggestion that they get someone to go down the hole. Not once they're dead, like Mel plans, but with some kind of equipment so they can get a good look. What we need here is a volunteer. <laughs> Real, I'm serious. Somebody who would be willing to be lowered in, in, into this hole. Um, well, I, I don't, you know, to be honest, I don't even know if there's any air down that far. Finally, it comes time to start taking calls which is where you see the genius of not screening callers. Let's let some of the audience ask you questions. The first few people Art picks up have nothing to say about Mel's hole. The first one doesn't have anything to say at all. Hello. Hello. Do you have any questions for Mel? Hello. And the next few aren't much better. Okay, well, I, I guess that guy gave up. Uh, used to the Rockies, you're on the air with Mel. Hello. Hello. Oh, you got a you got a guest now? I did well. I mean, sort of. Oh well, I I was I was calling about something else. All right. Well, thank you. First time caller line. You're on the air with Mel. Hello. Mel. Yes, Mel. Oh oh, Mel Mel Mel. I wanted to talk to Art. Uh, I'm this, on the wrong line. Yeah, you are. I find this hysterical. But aside from the Saturday Night Live public access television sketch quality of all these misfires, I think there's something really important going on here. If you were listening to Coast to Coast on February 21st, 1997, listening to Mel explain his hole, you might be skeptical. If you're listening to The Constant in late 2023, you're almost certainly skeptical. And the straightest line for that skepticism to take is that this whole thing is a hoax, right? But we expect hoaxes to be smooth, well-organized, slick. The rinky-dink feel of having random hang-ups and wrong numbers and such cuts against that. They display a lack of polish, which makes the whole thing sound all the more real, even though, logically, they don't do any such thing. Eventually, Bell manages to find some on-topic callers, and they too help further establish credibility. The first is just a guy with a set of Encyclopedia Britannicas or something doing the Lord's work, searching through the index for technical specs on holes. Um, I just wanted to let you know, I looked up an encyclopedia, and the Marianas Trench, which is the deepest hole we know about... That's in the ocean, right? Right. It's 36,000 feet deep. So this is... Well, uh, certainly over double that already. Right. And it also says, undermining, that with current technology, we can only go down about 1,600 feet. Wow. Wow. Which leads Art Bell back to his North Star, sending someone down the hole. I, inquiring minds, want to know, I would think, even if we just had somebody lowered past the 1,600-foot mark to see what's down there. Wouldn't you know it, he gets a volunteer. Yeah, you mentioned earlier um, that um, 
you uh, would like somebody to be lowered down into the hole. That's I, right. I would be willing to do that. See, there you go, sir, a volunteer. We've um, got a volunteer. Yeah, I mean, obviously under certain conditions. Like what? Um, just a cage, for one. A cage? Yeah, just in the event that uh, there's some kind of weird subterranean thing eating all of this garbage down there. Obviously, I would want to be in some kind of a cage. Well, and, uh, what makes you think, though, that anything that could gobble up, say, a refrigerator... Uh-huh. Would... Wouldn't get the cage? Well, I would have, a, obviously, a very powerful light, and I'd be able to see it at some point before it's too late. So, I'm we'd sure. have radio contact with you, and we could hear you scream, at least. Yeah, yeah. The other major questions tackled are, what the hell is this thing? You know, when I was, was out there this evening, it's uh, kind of a sort of a full moon out there. And one of the things that occurred to me is maybe this has some sort of astronomical type uh, type thing. What do you mean, though? Well, you know, it's like, you know, how, uh, you know, the, the various pyramids and things in Egypt, you know, are supposed to be lined up on various star systems or whatever. Well, was it a thing like where the moonlight was shining into the hole? Well, no, but I, you know, I just, you know, happened to notice, you know, the, the full moon and all yeah, of a sudden moon, it just sort of uh, put two and two together there, you know. You've never felt drawn to the hole uh, personally, have you? I mean, in terms of, you know. Uh, uh, you, you mean in terms of some sort of spiritual involvement or. No, uh, suicide, no, suicide. Uh, no, oh, oh, no, no, the, uh, the, 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 uh. And. What the hell can you do with it? Um, wild card line, you're on the air with Mel. Hello. <laughs> this, is pretty, this is pretty funny. Uh, 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 good evening, Mel. Hi. Uh, uh, before I get serious, I, I just wanted to kind of lighten things up here and ask if you'd considered uh, making a contract with uh, the uh, Refuse Collection Department from uh, Yakima County. You could probably make a killing <laughs> on that. You know, I, I, re- I read an article in the paper how they wanted to close down our uh, local... Uh, uh, dump out here, and uh, <laughs> I almost seriously suggested. Right, listen, there's another. Here's another possibility for you. Do you know that I live near an area where there's supposed to be a high-level nuclear dump? Now, if this is really in effect a bottomless pit, whoa, you may have something that the U.S. government wants. So I could, like, rent this thing out. You're damn right. But if Mel won't lease it out to your local streets and sanitation department or the IAEA, then he should at least be able to get some media attention out of the deal. Well, Mel, would you be willing to talk to, like, newspaper people or uh, television people? They're crazy. They'd send someone down there. By the time the call-in section of the show begins, there's very little doubt left hanging around Art Bell. After a couple of perfunctory, you're not lying to me, questions, Art Bell is willing to go fully along with Mel Waters and never again entertains any degree of dubiousness until the very end. But there were a couple of callers who raised some issues with the story. Only if we were all lucky. West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Mel. Hello. Yeah, this is uh, Terry from Bremerton. Hello, Terry. Oh, you're up in Washington again, yeah. You're right. Well, I was wondering about uh, how much does 15... Uh, miles of fishing line way. I have no idea. <laughs> I'm just letting that sucker go down. I have not well, realized What if it. you've already hit the bottom and you got uh, a pound of fishing line on it? That's right. letting it down. Yeah, I, I, should, already uh, hit the bottom. I, sh- I should weigh one of those uh, spools because I'm, I'm getting them in 5,000-yard spools. Yeah. Uh, and so I should weigh a spool and sort of deduct the cost of the... Uh, 
the, the spool itself and see what that would add up to in terms of how much uh, how much how much that weighs. So so in other words, it could be it could have hit bottom some time ago, and simply the the pure weight of the line. Right. Hi, this is Con, uh, Conrad in Grass Valley, and I've got some thoughts about this whole well problem. Sure. Uh, first of all, if he started out with a one-pound weight, and he starts adding fish uh, fish line to it, right? Then the, the the amount of weight down the hole increases. All right. Now, if he knows the weight of the line on a per foot basis, as he puts more weight down the hole, if he could measure the total strain on the top of the, or load on the top of the line, he would know if any of that line was draped on anything. See, the thing is, once he gets a fair amount of line no, that's, down that's there, good, that's a good point. The, the one pound weight on the end is insignificant. We've got two important logistical issues here. For one, the line Mel's lowering into the hole can only hold 20 pounds of weight before it snaps. There's a one pound weight at the end, so that leaves 19 pounds. But how much does the line itself weigh? He's supposedly got 80,000 feet of the stuff, right? If that weighs more than 20 pounds, then the line should have snapped, meaning that the whole, whole story is bullshit. But there's a bigger problem here, too. The one-pound weight is what's keeping the line taut. So Mel should know when he's hit bottom, because once that weight is on the floor, the line should go slack. But if there's even one pound of line down there, that doesn't matter anymore. The weight of the line itself would serve the same purpose. Hmm. And he wouldn't even... It could be hung up on something and or uh, laying on the bottom or something and... and um he would never know it. By now, Art isn't just sympathetic to Mel. He's working defense. Yeah, but 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 he, he put lifesavers down 4,500 feet. So even if what you're saying is true, this is still, by a long shot, the deepest hole ever, ever. And he quickly moves off that topic and starts wrapping things up, giving Mel the chance to end on strength, swearing up and down once more that what he has said is true. All right, and, and you, would, you would swear on all that is sacred to you that what you have told us is the absolute, unadulterated truth. This, this is my hole, and this is, this is the truth about it. And that's it. The sun is rising, and it's time for Art Bell to go smoke himself to sleep. It was a good show. Mel's Hole may never fill up, but the story of Mel's Hole filled three hours of late-night radio programming beautifully. It was time to tie it up with a bow and move on to the regularly scheduled program of lunatics, grifters, and Civil War-stoking militiamen. Except, the next week, Art Bell received a second fax from Mel Waters, with some frightening new developments. The bottomless hole was about to get deeper. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. 
You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Matt. Did you know that wombats poop cubes? Nope. Never heard that before. Did you know the unicorn is the national animal of Scotland, Ken? I didn't know, nor do I care. Neil, did you know that Liechtenstein is the only doubly landlocked country in Europe? Jeff, isn't that an American pop artist? Well, actually, it's both. If you want to learn things like that and more, join us each week on Triviality, a pub trivia-style game show podcast where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Listen in each week to answer general knowledge trivia alongside exciting guests from around the world. And we're here, too. Join us every Tuesday for new hour-long episodes of Triviality, plus tons of extra themed content on everything from The Office and Lord of the Rings to science and geography. And sometimes we even do sports. Find us on all your preferred podcast apps and take part in the fun of playing bar trivia without the need to wear pants. Real mature, Jeff. Forget it, Neil. It's Triviality. Everybody, shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show has examined weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. Thing done weird things. Cat and Jethro, Box of Oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. If you, by chance, had happened upon Coast to Coast AM on Friday, February 21st, 1997, and then never listened in again, and considering that the Nielsen ratings put the regular audience at the time in the millions, there were certainly a whole bunch of people who had that experience, what would you have thought about Mel's Hole? I'd say it would have been an interesting little nugget you might have mentioned later, perhaps when the awkward silence descended on a first date, or if you had a few minutes to kill at the water cooler on Monday morning. You'd say you heard about this guy on the radio who found a hole on his property that went down, well, who knew how far? The guy dropped like 15 miles of line down and not hit bottom. And your date slash coworker might ask, is it real? And you'd say, Well, I don't know. I don't think the part about the dog being resurrected was true, but maybe dogs avoided the hole. That could be true. You know how dogs are. Maybe it wasn't bottomless. It probably wasn't bottomless. But a really deep hole? A really deep, really weird, pretty nearly inexplicable hole? Why not? And yeah, for you engineers and geologists out there who can think of a bunch of answers to why not, Good for you, but for the rest of us, this story appears to live right on the knife's edge of plausibility. You can push it over, one way or the other. It's a good, subtle, slow-rolling fiction. 
but on Monday night, February 24th, 1997, once the water cooler was emptied, Mel came back for a second go. This time, things were going to get faster and louder. Here is, uh, from the state of Washington, uh, here's Mel. Mel. Hello, Art Bell and listeners. Hi. Um, you, uh, when, 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 when I got this second fax from you, I called you up, and you were totally, totally freaked out. Oh, my God, I was. I tell you, I was, I, I, <laughs> I, I feel a lot better now, let me tell you, but, uh. Yeah, you were, you were uh, just a pile of nerves when I talked to you now. Before we get into the meat of the second call, I just want to let you know that Mel addressed the skepticism over the weight of his line. On the weekend, I was able to actually measure or, or weigh the line that's in the hole. And basically, I tied it onto one of these little uh, uh, fishermen's scales, okay? And, All right. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a little spring-operated thing there. But I, I had a weight on that, including the, uh, uh, the one-pound sinker on there. It looks like it weighs about uh, 17, 18 pounds. Okay, so 17 or 18 pounds. Yeah. It's 20-pound test line, right? Mm -hmm. And you've got one pound down at the end of it, tied on the end of it, right? That's right. Truly, very convenient that it came in just underweight. But forget about that. Let's get into the latest developments. On Friday night, I went out there, and uh, uh, in the evening, and uh, noticed uh, there were some some helicopter activity around the property. Uh, there was further helicopter activity the next day. Uh, and so I figured that uh, clearly uh, somebody out there listens to your program. Oh, yes. And uh, I think... Uh, John, I'm really sorry I brought this on for you. I, I didn't... It certainly wasn't intentional. I. Uh... Well, uh, anyway, so there was was a lot of activity around there and you know I've had some thoughts about this and and they stopped you right in other words there was a barrier there well there was on uh, I, I tell you I'm getting a little confused about days I, I guess it's now Tuesday morning yeah that's right but uh, uh, since what they had originally there was a barrier, not a barrier, but just armed armed uh, soldiers, basically. Armed soldiers. Armed soldiers. Uh, since then, they have erected some um, further down the road. I mean, you can't even, I, I mean, basically, there's the road, there's the access road, and then finally kind of meander into the property. Okay. They now have Jersey barriers at the road. What are those? Uh, Jersey barriers, those are... Uh, they're kind of like big chunks of concrete. That, oh, that uh, like the, like the bomb barriers they have at the White House, uh, kind of more or less. So you could you could squeeze maybe one one vehicle through there, but it's uh, you know definitely being controlled over there. Now this is your property, right? You've this got the is, deed to this property. This is well mine and the bank's. <laughs> well, you're you're in the bank, you know. We're all in the same situation. Um, so so they won't let you on your own property, and they're claiming there was a plane that crashed. Yeah, that, that was the thing. And I said, well, where's the smoke? I've seen plane crashes before. There's there's got to be smoke. And uh, you know, again, I had talked, I asked, talked to the officer in charge there, and uh, I figured, you know, when these military types that come up, and I don't know, maybe he was just dressed in civilian clothes because of, you know the nature of what happened there. But yeah. uh, you know, uh, 
you know, he told me that I won't be able to go out there until the accident's been investigated. Yeah, man, we are through the looking glass now, firmly in X-Files territory, the creator of which, Chris Carter, was a big fan of Coast to Coast, by the way. Art Bell interviewed him on the show in 1999. Coincidence? There's no such thing as coincidence, Scully. For some people, adding a shadowy government cover-up to a story must improve its veracity. I'm not one of those people, but I'm willing to bet that they're somewhat concentrated among the coast-to-coast audience. And come to think of it, perhaps they're concentrated around 1997, too. Even if you're one of those people, there are a lot of things about Mel Waters' second call to raise your eyebrows. Like, for instance, Mel says that when he tried to get back on his property, one of the men in black obliquely threatened him, saying that it would be all too easy to find a drug lab on his land if he weren't careful. And I was insistent about my property rights, and he seemed to indicate that uh, this might not necessarily be my property in regards to the drug lab, so... uh But there's an easy defense against that sort of thing, Art Bell points out, because Mel doesn't have a drug lab on his land. Right? Um, But the problem is I do have a a sort of a lab on the property. Oh, no, no, wait a minute. You have a sort of lab? What kind of lab? Well, I I work uh, or working in the alternative health field here and then on, on the property. And that's one of the reasons, and this can all come out now, I uh, imported some um, plant life from northern Nevada. They were Native American plants that the Indians used there for uh, uh, treatment of various illnesses, mostly cold and flu. Yeah. Anyway, so we, uh, because of the nature of the uh, uh the climate and is very similar to northern Nevada. We thought we would cultivate these plants and then use it as a cure. It's a very effective cure. It's, found, uh, it's not a narcotic, is it? No, it's not narcotic. It's well, not then what the hell are they talking about drug lab? Well, there is a lab there, though. I mean, and... Uh, he returns to this a number of times. That's not a drug lab you've got out there, is it? No, no, no. We, we are working with uh, Native American plants. They're plants that Native Americans used in making uh, what, what they, uh, what, uh, this, uh, this was a northern Nevada doctor uh, back in World War One time who found a cure for the flu. He gave this stuff to his, uh, uh, the, he was a military doctor, he gave it to the people under his command. Okay, okay. So not exactly a drug lab, maybe, but something a little cozy with drug labs and pretty scammy sounding. On the second call, Mel also retrofits a new supernatural element into the story. Oh, I talked to one of my neighbors earlier today, and he told me something very interesting. He said that some time ago, he was driving up to the hole at night and thought he saw the most bizarre thing. He said he saw a beam of solid black coming out of the then uncovered hole. I said, what do you mean? He said he saw something blacker than black coming out of the hole like a searchlight reaching into the sky as far as he could see. If Mel's first call was relatively grounded, the second is starting to snap a lot of its tethers. Mel vaguely conjectures about HARP, a conspiracy theory magnet of a research lab in Fairbanks, Alaska. That's right, Project HARP. Now, now HARP is supposed to look for... Underground bunkers and tunnels and such, yes. That's right. He makes some confusingly directionless comments about geology. And one of the things I found out is the crust, on average, on the Earth is about 20 miles deep. 
Okay. Now, underneath the crust, and this is something that a lot of people don't know about, there's something known as the MOHO discontinuity. The, the what? The MOHO, M-O-H-O discontinuity. What is that? But I don't know much about seismology, but I'll tell you what I know about this discontinuity. P waves, and I guess those are seismic waves, yeah. through this discontinuity move faster than they do through the rest of the Earth. They, like, speed up. Okay. Not to mention, of course, that the whole premise of the second call, that the military or some military-ish people have come in to take his land, is pretty wild. Art's listeners also get a little zanier in part two. Here's a fact for you. The following is a theory regarding Mel's property. There is a tremendous amount of naturally generated high-voltage electricity deep in the earth. What if the bottom of the hole on Mel's property is a naturally occurring focal point, a lot like the device that Mr. Markham built. The Earth could have its own, in effect, time machine over the centuries through various quakes and so forth. All of the soil above the portal would have fallen into the bottom and been launched into some other time. This explains the lack of echoes in the apparent depth of the hole. Tell Mel to lower a clock down there. <laughs> they talk a bit elliptically about hollow Earth theory. And I'll guarantee you that'll open your eyes because the Earth is hollow. They've never proved the Earth is solid. And it's a pose that's totally a hole, and it's about 1,400 miles wide. And people can't see across it, and they don't realize they're going into the, into the Earth. But uh, Admiral Byrd flew 1,700 miles inside the Earth, and they shut it up. So the government's up to something here. That, that, that is what it sounds like. <laughs> West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Mel. Hello. Hi, how you doing? Well, um, I've read... Two scriptures in the Bible, which I won't quote, because I know you don't like to talk about that. That's right. But uh, there's one that it's, uh, talks about making graven images of things. Yeah. And that would be even things that are under the earth. And then there's a... Well, what, what are you driving at, though? Well, it, there are scriptures in the Bible that also allude to a hollow earth. Oh, oh, oh. They suggest that Mel could have a literal hole to hell on his hands. Hi, uh, my name's Brad. I'm calling from uh, Lexington, Kentucky. Hi, Brad. Hi. Um, this, when I heard about this hole, it kind of reminded me of uh, the story with the, the hole they dug. I think it was in Europe or Scandinavia. Scandinavia, they, Scandinavia. They lowered a microphone. Yeah, I'll tell you what. That was an Associated Press story, and they lowered a microphone in, and they heard the screaming, agonized sounds of of thousands of people in agony, they said. That was, that was an actual AP story. Now, it may have turned out to have been not true, but AP ran that story. Art is all the way wrong about this story, in case you were wondering. The story of the well from hell began in a Finnish newspaper published by a group of Pentecostal Christians and tracked back through a telephone game of fringe Christians and Messianic Jews. The gist was that the Soviets had dug a nine-mile-deep hole in Siberia and lowered a microphone into it, which picked up the sounds of people screaming in agony. That is, purportedly, the actual tape taken from the hole. It was first aired a couple of years after Mel's phone calls on Coast to Coast AM. Although Art Bell relayed the audio as genuine, it has since been tracked back to a couple of B-movie background audio files overlaid and looped on top of one another. The story was never, from what I've found, run through the AP wire. 
it was published by a number of tabloids, and particularly Trinity Broadcasting Network, which, if you're not familiar with TBN, it's exactly as credible a source as you're imagining. But I digress. My favorite theory, for sure, comes from this unnamed caller. Uh, yeah, about that hole. Yes, sir. There was a Rod Sterling thing I saw on TNT, I think, about four years ago. He was hosting, it was like, it uh, must have been early 80s, late 70s. And uh, there were reenactments of, like, these true occurrences. Yeah. And there was a whole story about a boy. It looked like it was took place in, like, when they still rode horses or something. And uh, a boy woke up with his dog missing or something. And uh, he went looking for his dog and fell into a hole, except, you know, he didn't fall in. He hung onto the edge and crawled out and went and told his dad, and his dad went out there, and they heard noises coming out of it. Oh, God. And so the, uh, he went to town and got a bunch of guys to go out there with him, and I guess a bunch of guys went out there, and they thought, well, let's lower a rope in, and somebody's going to have to go down on it. Sure. And uh, so the dad said, well, I'll do it since, you know, you're looking for your dog and stuff. And they lowered him down, and he made this uh, scream uh, deadly scream, and so they brought him up, and I guess after that, they, after they brought him up, he went uh, clinically insane for the rest of his life. That is an episode of The Twilight Zone. A very famous episode of The Twilight Zone. The reason Rod Serling was hosting a documentary was that the documentary was his television show, The Twilight Zone. Aside from fevered theorizing, many of the callers that night were focused on advice. What should Mel do about the hole and the shadowy men who have kicked him off his land? We get a local group of citizens and press and militia, and that's uh, a good reason why we need the militias in this country is to prevent this type of situation from happening. The government coming in, taking over your property, threatening your life. You know, I would I would call their bluff. I don't I, I don't see how they can. Well, that's easy to say. You know, from a distance, I'm not sure I'd call their bluff. I, I've got to be honest. Uh, it, look, if you had a property, sir, and you're trying to get on it, and they had it all roped off, and they said, go away, you know, we could... I, find I would it. come back with a gun. I didn't say they gave good advice. Compared to where we're going to eventually end up, though, everybody's still pretty level-headed. Faint praise or foreshadowing? You decide. With the power they've got, you know, they can just wrap him up, and we might never hear from him again. Yeah, that's right. Um, I guess I'm going to have to stay in touch with you, Mel, to be sure that you, you don't meet some... Uh... Well, well, you know, they're, they're, they're working me from both sides here, as far as I can tell. That's what it all. sounds like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, lo- it looks like, uh, I, I guess it's like the Godfather. They want to make me an offer I can't refuse. Uh... All he wanted was someone who could tell him whether his hole was special. And now, not only does he have some mysterious stormtroopers blocking his gate, but even some of Art Bell's listeners are accusing him of being full of shit. Uh, Art, I'm sorry, but I just feel like you've got somebody there that's uh, uh, got quite an imagination. Well, you're talking to him. So, I mean, I, I've, I've just said the same thing to him. Uh, some of the faxes that I've been receiving are saying that, obviously. People don't believe. I, I, I just hope that you don't get all wound up in this. Well, I, look, I get wound up in all kinds of things, dear. I'm not going to stop. That's what I do. It's enough that he's thinking about giving in, maybe moving to Australia. 
if if I get to you know if I actually get to talk to somebody in a position of authority who wants to sit down and talk turkey, and I'm not talking about my uh, real estate agent, I'm gonna I'm gonna honestly I'm gonna ask for like a relocation to another country is what I'm gonna do. You want you want to be sent out of the country? Yeah, I, I'd I'd like to be sent to like Australia, for instance. You know, uh, uh, at like the close of the second call, Art identifies the crisis. The plane crash story was obviously a cover, and the story about the lab was obviously a threat. Yeah. Uh, plain and simple. So, my friend, I don't know what you're going to do now. Uh, and I, I guess I'm you gonna, don't know. I'm going to think about it. I'm gonna... And offers us some words of wisdom. Yeah, and everybody out there ought to, ought to consider you know, something so the... like this could happen to anybody. In what sense could this happen to anyone, Art? What in this context could that possibly mean? Uh, Mel, we're out of time. Stay in touch, my friend. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll keep in touch. All right, take care. That's Mel and the story of Mel's Hole, and that's the latest. When there's more, you'll hear about it right here. This is CBC. But you wouldn't hear about it. If you'd listened to part one and part two, and then eagerly awaited a third appearance to conclude things with bated breath, I hope you didn't bait it too hard, because Mel just disappeared. He was gone. Or maybe not quite. It seems like Art was in sporadic contact with Mel, sharing letters or emails or faxes. And if you were a religious listener to Coast to Coast, you may have noticed a handful of updates. I'm not sure that those updates happened. If they did, they weren't archived. But some of Art's later comments suggest he read something about Mel's position on air sometime in the following years. Aside from whatever that might have been, there was no firmer word on or from Mel and his hole. But the story was so delicious that it picked up more and more steam as the nascent urban legend leaked out. If you were looking for your Mel's Hole fix for the rest of the 90s, you had to turn to newspaper articles, local television programs. Deep in the heart of central Washington state is a mystery. A strange pit claimed to be as deep as 80,000 feet has piqued the curiosity of people from around the nation. It has reportedly been seen by only a handful of people. It grabbed national attention in 1997 when a man calling himself Mel Waters contacted radio talk show host Art Bell on his national talk show, Coast to Coast. The mysterious pit has become known as Mel's Hole. And an incredibly suspicious half-breed Cherokee shaman, his words named Red Elk, who, uh, probably the less said about Red Elk, the better. Mills Hole is a complex, very interesting mystery. Uh, within 24 hours, his land was more or less seized. Some speculate it may have a connection to the close proximity of the U.S. Army's Yakima Training Center. There are a couple aspects of Mills Hole, paranormal aspects that make it intriguing. Um, one of them is a supposed black beam that emits from the hole. And that particular hole was expelling. It's like flashing the toilet, but it blows it up into the sky. All of a sudden, it looks like a black flashlight in the day. Where are you hearing these stories? <laughs> I have never heard that. I have never heard that story. There's nothing better than a deep hole. I mean, it's just one of those neat things that just perks the imagination a bottomless hole. Uh, I know actually quite a bit about Mel's Hole, uh, exec producer of a local TV show, Ellensburg Extreme, and we're aiming to do a spot actually on Mel's Hole, trying to find it ourselves. 
and everybody's theorizing just really quite bizarre things from the, the beam of light to a weird lamb guarding the hole. People are just making a cult of it, really. And if you are around Washington, you might be able to catch an expeditionary tour of the area looking to find the hole. In Seattle, Washington, Philip Lipson and Charlotte Lefevre are co-directors of the Seattle Museum of the Mysteries, which has sponsored expeditions to search for the hole. We only seriously really started going out in expeditions and searching for this hole about three years ago. And that's when Red Elk came to us and said, I saw this hole 40 years ago. My father showed it to me. It's real. I kind of call it the Moby Dick of the Northwest because it's like, you know, like this Moby Dick was about a whale, this is about a hole. If all of that wasn't enough, there was also a good deal of art and fiction produced about Mel's Hole. And there still is. Just a couple years ago, Amazon produced a streaming series entitled Open Range, starring Josh Brolin, which was both clearly and loosely inspired by Mel's Hole. There was a fairly high-profile modern art exhibition in L.A. made up of pieces inspired by the hole. The story was a hit, on its way to full pop culture assimilation. Mel's Hole might have been the next, I don't know, Roswell or pre-Skinwalker Ranch Skinwalker Ranch. If only Mel had known the first rule of showbiz, when to get off. Which, for a while it seemed he did, he disappeared, leaving a perfect conspiratorial mystery behind. Did the government buy Mel off? Kidnap him? Kill him? Did they throw Mel down the hole? Three years later, Coast to Coast listeners found out. Whereas you, dear listener, need only wait two weeks for Rock Bottomless Part 2. Music for today's episode provided by Epidemic Sound and Blue Dot Sessions. If you're itching to find out what happens to Mel and his hole, or should I say, his holes, plural, how's that for a tease? Don't go looking for yourself. Wikipedia will not give you the answers you crave. Instead, navigate on over to patreon.com slash theconstant and sign up to support the making of this show. If you do, not only will you be filled with the warm light of knowing you're keeping the constant going, you'll also get early and ad-free access to part two, days ahead of everybody else. You'll be able to hear every new episode early and ad-free, in fact, as well as monthly bonus episodes just for you. Maybe you'd like to gift that access to a fan you know for the upcoming holidays. Or keep it all to your selfish self. I won't judge. Go check it out. Until next time, from Chicago, Illinois, where deep underneath my very feet, hundreds of miles of gaping, gigantic holes sit. Part of the Deep Tunnel System, one of the largest civil projects ever constructed by human hands, this has been The Constant.